Greetings, Covenant Hope Church. For those of you who are with us for the first time, my name is Mark Donald, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here of the church. We have been jumping around a little bit in the last few weeks. We've spent some time in James, a little bit of time in Acts. We hit a psalm last week, and this week we're in Daniel. So if you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 6. We'll be looking at Daniel chapter 6 this week, 7 next week, and 8 the week after. So a little bit of time back in Daniel. In the late 1st century and early 2nd century, Polycarp was the bishop or pastor of the church in Smyrna. Smyrna is what is known today as Izmir. That's the same city that our dear friends John and Alana Pentecost moved to, where John is now a bishop of Smyrna. So Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, was a disciple of the apostle John. Polycarp served the church there faithfully until he was ordered to renounce Christ and to begin worshiping the gods of Rome. At 86 years old, as he was being arrested, he asked the soldiers that came to get him for some time, an hour to pray. And then he asked for his captors to be served and fed food and drink before he was taken away to be put to death. He was threatened with wild beasts, and he was threatened with being burnt at the stake. But Polycarp remained faithful to the Lord. The proconsul urged him, reproach Christ and I will set you free. His response, 86 years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? But lest we think it's only old pastors or those that have been discipled by the apostles themselves who remained faithful in the face of death, shortly after, only a little time after Polycarp, we can read the first-hand accounts of Perpetua, a 22-year-old noblewoman and her friend Felicity, a pregnant slave girl who had just become Christians and were young in their faith, and they too endured to the point of death and were thrown to wild beasts in the Roman Colosseum. Scripture and history are littered with such stories. Stories of faithfulness to God in the face of death. And these stories inspire us, don't they? They, they move us. They spur us on and they stir our affections for the Lord and for our brothers and sisters. We can't help when we hear this but want to follow their example, to be like them, to imitate them. The book of Daniel was written to inspire such heroic commitment to the Lord as God's people faced exile, persecution, and the reign of evil empires. And in our passage today, Daniel chapter 6, in this text, we're going to see that Daniel too remained faithful in the face of certain death. 
Before we dive into the passage, let me go to the Lord one more time and ask him to speak to us and to help us as we study his word. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're almost at the halfway point of the book of Daniel, and Daniel can be split into two halves. Chapters 1 through 6 tell inspiring stories about Daniel and his exiled friends in Babylon. And chapters 7 through 12, which are often less familiar to us, describe a series of strange, vivid visions that Daniel had of the future. And so let me just encourage you, as, as we prepare to jump into Daniel 7 and 8 next week and the week after, I want to encourage you, dive into those texts before you come to the service, just to prepare your hearts and minds with this less familiar part of Scripture. As we come to the end of the first half of the book, in these opening stories, we've seen how God had given Israel into exile. It was God that put them there, and it was because of their faithlessness as a nation. But despite their present circumstances, we see Daniel and his friends remain faithful to God over and over again. We've also seen how God humbled proud kings, King Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, who had lifted themselves up against God. And in all of this, we've seen over and over again that God is sovereign. He's in control and he reigns over everything and everyone, including kings and kingdoms. And we saw that clearly at the end of chapter 5, as the chapter closed and King Belshazzar, the last king of Babylon, fell, and King Darius, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, took his place. So here, when we get to Daniel chapter 6, we're going to hear an inspiring story that's familiar to many of us about Daniel in the lion's den. And the main idea, I want to give you that up front, the main idea of this chapter is that God delivers his faithful people from the jaws of death. God delivers his faithful people from the jaws of death. The first point we're going to be considering is Daniel's example of faithfulness to God. Daniel's faithfulness to God can be seen in verses 1 through 18. Let me read those for you. Follow along in your Bibles as I read them. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. 
Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to, ki- to the king and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and of the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees Three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. One of the greatest gifts that the Lord gives us as we seek to be faithful to him is other faithful examples. That's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is faithful examples and models for us. Of course, faithful preaching and teaching is of great value. It's absolutely necessary. But good teaching alone is not enough for faithful Christianity. An enormous part of the Christian life is caught. It's not taught. Observed, not heard. So for example, like Charlotte, our baby girl, who's just 11 months old, she's learning all kinds of things from Hannah and I, and it's not by pure instruction. 
It's by imitating. It's by copying. It's by mimicking us, Hannah and I. And in the same way, Christians grow by watching and imitating other Christians, by following their example. And that's one of the reasons that the Bible is filled with story after story and example after example. These men and women on the pages of Scripture provide examples to us. Now, some of those examples are worth following, like Daniel's, while others provide warnings for us of what it, what it looks like to walk in faithlessness. So let me encourage you to as you study the Bible, to look out for faithful examples. But not just in your study of the Bible, I want to encourage you to look out in your life. Look around you in this church and consider examples of faithfulness that you might follow. Spend time thinking about a brother or a sister in this church whose life you want to imitate, whose faithfulness is worth following and learn from them. Daniel, here in chapter 6, serves as an example, an amazing example to follow for God's people. At this point in Daniel's life, he's in his mid-80s. He spent about 70 years in exile in Babylon. But we see that even after 70 years, Daniel remained faithful to the Lord. So as we look at these verses here in Daniel 6, I want to draw your attention to five ways that we see Daniel as a faithful model for us. Five ways that we can see that he models faithfulness as the story unfolds. The first way we see Daniel model faithfulness is found in the first three verses. Daniel found favor with the king. Darius quickly recognizes that Daniel's God-given talent and ability to serve his kingdom is worth keeping around so that the king might suffer no loss, we're told. So he's established as one of three main high officials over the whole of the Medo-Persian Empire, which was vast. He was to run the, the lower leaders of the satraps, the 120 satraps, and to help them run this vast empire, these many peoples that had been conquered. And verse 3 tells us that Daniel proved himself so exemplary in his task that Darius planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Not just one of three leaders, but above everyone. And we're told it was because an excellent spirit was in him. Having an excellent spirit is probably referring to Daniel's humble and wise demeanor. He had ex expressed and shown wise leadership under other kings, and now Darius recognized it too. Verse 4 tells us that no fault could be found in him with regard to the kingdom because he was faithful. Daniel, though he was exiled in a foreign land and was a captor under a pagan king, performed his duties with excellence and he stood out from the rest of the crowd for it. So brothers and sisters, sometimes faithfulness looks as ordinary as working hard unto the Lord in whatever position that he's placed you in. 
if you're here, and there are a few of you here that are under 18 years old, if you're here and you're a child, I'm, I want to address you for a moment and encourage you that faithfulness as a child, faithfulness as someone under 18, looks like joyfully obeying your parents. It looks like doing your homework well. And college students, faithfulness for you might look like studying hard for that exam that's coming up. Working hard on the projects that you've been assigned, even when they're boring. If you're a stay-at-home mum, faithfulness might mean doing the next load of laundry to serve your family, even when it feels like the household tasks are never-ending and that laundry keeps piling up. If you're employed, working hard to serve your boss well is faithful, even if they're not fellow Christians, and even if you don't really find your job that exciting. And if any of you ever are called to be a high official under a king, you should also do that with excellence. Do that well too, like Daniel. We also see Daniel's faithfulness in a second thing. Not only was Daniel uh, find favor with some, he was also persecuted by others. We see that in verses 4 through 9. The high officials, likely jealous because of the favor that was shown to Daniel, examined his life carefully. They watched him to try and find any reason to lodge a complaint against him. But they could find nothing. What an incredible testimony Daniel's life is. Imagine if people watched your life so closely and they, at the end of the day they came to the fact that I can't find any fault in that guy. It's incredible. No error, no fault in regard to his service to the kingdom. And so these officials conclude that the only way to get Daniel is to use his faithfulness against him. And so they come up with a plan to trick the king into signing a death sentence for Daniel. They flatter him by claiming that all the important people, all the high officials, everyone, of course Daniel wasn't included, but they said that everyone agreed with this royal decree, a royal decree concerning prayer. That every prayer should be made to the king. And that anyone who prayed to anyone other than the king himself for 30 days would be fed to the lions. Now, what exactly this, this ordinance or this injunction meant, it's a little confusing. It's possible to understand that this was encouraging Darius to be treated as if he was literally a god himself for these 30 days. But I think it's more likely that these men were just encouraging Darius to function as the earthly mediator between the various peoples of his kingdom and their various gods. That they were to aim their prayers through the king to their gods. That's what I think. Perhaps this was in order to encourage unity among all the different peoples and their different gods under his rule. But whichever it is, these men knew that this would trap Daniel. They knew because they knew Daniel was 
faithful. They knew that he wouldn't compromise in his utter, complete devotion to his God. And Daniel's faith wasn't private. His prayer life was evident to those around him. It was public. They knew of his allegiance to God, and so they used it against him. They knew that Daniel's commitment to the Lord was more important to him than to anything else. That he'd betray the king before he would betray his God. So let me ask you, are you known by the people around you in your workplace, in your school, in your apartment building? Are you known as a person of faith? A person who follows the Lord? Or would your colleagues be surprised to find out that you were a Christian? Our Christianity is certainly personal, but it can never be entirely private. Our faith in God, like Daniel's, must be public. When we're known for our faith, then, we should also be prepared that we may face opposition just like Daniel did to his faith. The Lord Jesus promised us that this would be so. And even Paul tells Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The third way we see Daniel's faithfulness was that Daniel was committed to God's law. We see that in verse 5. Daniel's faithfulness was unwavering in regard to his commitment to the commandments of the Lord. The exiles who were in Babylon were tempted over and over again to ignore or to abandon God's law, to act like those around them, to follow their rules. And the church finds itself in a very similar situation. The church, universal, is in the world, but not of the world, Jesus said. And there are times when rulers set up Laws which conflict with the law of God and therefore must be disobeyed. Thankfully, though, here in Dubai, for the most part, that is not the case. And we praise God that we have freedom to worship God as he has instructed us. We aren't forced to pray to certain rulers or people. And we're not forced to worship in a certain kind of way. But there are certainly pressures in our society which press believers to compromise on God's word, to compromise on his commandments. And brothers and sisters, we must be committed like Daniel was to be faithful to God's word and to his commands. And when it happens, when we are, may it be said of us, oh, favor, she won't cheat on that test. She's a Christian. Oh, oh Edwin, Edwin he, he's not, he's not going to go out and get drunk. He, he's a Christian. Oh, oh, Jules, she's not going to watch that. She's a Christian. The fourth way that we see Daniel's faithfulness is in his humble prayer life. We see that in verses 10 through 13. Daniel is humble in prayer. The narrator informs us that Daniel knew about the new law that had been put in place. He knew the document had been signed, and yet he went home to pray just as he had done previously. 
Daniel didn't alter his behavior after finding out about the royal injunction. So this wasn't Daniel proudly flaunting his faith and being unnecessarily obnoxious with his Christianity in order to get himself into trouble. No, no, we can, with reasonable, uh, with, with very minimal doubt, assume that this was just Daniel's ordinary practice the whole time he was in exile. That no matter which king Daniel was under, no matter what position of responsibility he had, Daniel was a man of prayer. He was a man committed to pray. He planned to pray. He even had a prayer schedule. He prayed three times a day, we're told, in the very first and last verses of this section, in verse 10 and verse 13. Daniel was devoted to God in prayer. It was regular. It was habitual. Having a regular assigned time to pray isn't legalistic. It's disciplined commitment to a God that we should serve. There's nothing in the Bible about how many times a day to pray or exact times when we should pray, though we are told to pray without ceasing. So prayer should be a part of our daily routine. It should be a part of the rhythm of our everyday lives, just like brushing your teeth in the morning or having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. J.C. Ryle in his short book, A Call to Prayer, wrote, Prayer is to faith what breath is to life. How a man can live and not breathe is past my comprehension. And how a man can believe and not pray is past my comprehension too. So prayer is like breathing to Christian faith. It keeps it alive. Prayer will fuel your faithfulness to God. J.C. Ryle goes on in this little book. It's excellent. I encourage you to, you can get it free online. He writes, prayer will consume sin or sin will choke out prayer. Sin that is heartily prayed against will never stand. Are there sins in your life that you feel you can't overcome? Pray, brothers and sisters. Pray against them. Not only did Daniel plan to pray, but we're told about his posture in prayer as well. Daniel, it's, we're told, it got down on his knees to pray. This is an 80-something-year-old man who gets down low every day, three times a day, down on the ground before his God. I did this this week, and it was uncomfortable. <laughs> I can't imagine with 86-year-old knees what that would be like. This posture, though, is not intended to make us feel uncomfortable. It's a posture that reveals a heart of humbleness before God, of humility, of desperation, of bowing before the Lord and recognizing His awesome glory and splendor, submitting our lives in dependence before Him over and over again, getting low before Him. Making petitions, it says in the text, and pleading with thanksgiving before the Lord. We must have a humble posture before God as we seek to pray to Him. And we're also told in verse 10 that He faced Jerusalem 
that there were windows in his room that faced Jerusalem. Facing Jerusalem was a posture of hope, a posture of hope that they would be returned from their time in exile, just as God had promised. Daniel was almost certainly recalling the words of King Solomon, who in dedicating the temple to God in 1 Kings chapter 8, prayed that if God's people were ever exiled because of their sin, and if they repented with all of their hearts and with all of their soul in the land of their enemies, praying towards God's house, that God would hear their pleas, that he would forgive them, and that he would grant them compassion. Daniel knew that the curse of the exile that he was facing was only temporary. He was praying for God to forgive and praying for God to restore the people to Israel. If we want to be faithful like Daniel was faithful, brothers and sisters, we must be prayerful like Daniel was prayerful. So brothers and sisters, commit yourselves to prayer. Plan to pray and pray spontaneously. Kneel to pray or humbly in your hearts bow before the Lord. Pray privately. Pray publicly. Join us on Monday night for this new Bible study followed by time of prayer. Pray for this church to be marked by humble devotedness to God in prayer. Pray for me to be a man of prayer. Pray for the other elders to be men of prayer. Pray for one another to be people of prayer. Daniel had many, many responsibilities. He was one of the top officials in a vast empire, but he was never too busy to pray. He didn't have more important things to do than pray. And those around him knew it because his faith was public. It wasn't hidden. His opponents come and they catch Daniel in the act and then they take the news to King Darius. And that leads into our fifth and final evidence of Daniel's faithfulness. Daniel has assured hope in the face of death. And we see that in verses 14 through 18. Daniel has assured hope in the face of death. We see that because with full knowledge of this decree, Daniel did exactly what he had always done before. He didn't change. He didn't fret. We're not told that he had any fear or inner turmoil. None of that is recorded in this narrative. He doesn't question. He doesn't doubt. He doesn't worry. In fact, the way that the story is told, it actually highlights Daniel's unflinching obedience. Everything else would suggest that he should be terrified that he should be fearful. But the only thing that Daniel fears is his God. Even over very real threats to his life. So let me ask you, what fears do you have that are connected with your faith? What fears do you have that are connected with your faith? For some of you, there is a very real possibility that being faithful to God could threaten your physical well-being, even your life. For many, being a person of committed faith in God will create division and relational tensions within our families. For others, it may mean losing close friends, and maybe that doesn't happen immediately, but because of your commitment to the Lord, over time, your lives drift apart 
as they see more and more of Christ in you. Even that might feel like a kind of death to you. Certainly that is a death to yourself. Perhaps faithfulness will put your jobs at risk. Maybe being a faithful Christian will threaten your livelihood. As like Daniel, you are asked to do things that you know would compromise your commitment to the Lord. And that would leave you wondering, how will you even put food on the table or provide for your family? There are many ways that we might suffer for being faithful like Daniel. There's a cost to following Jesus. But do not fear, brothers and sisters. Have faith. Have hope. Be assured. God knows your pain. Entrust yourself to him. Cast your burdens and your needs upon him. He cares for you. And you follow in the footsteps of Daniel. And you follow in the footsteps of our suffering Savior. We see Daniel's assured hope in the face of death. Also in the stark contrast between his response and that of King Darius. Darius was much distressed, we're told. He labored all day to try and rescue Daniel and then he couldn't sleep. And he fasted all night. While Daniel has assured hope, Darius is in great distress. But he can't find a way to deliver Daniel. Nothing he can do will work to rescue. The most powerful man is powerless to save Daniel. Daniel's faithfulness to God led him to be cast into the lion's den. A pit of certain death. And it was sealed over with a stone. But having considered Daniel's faithfulness to God, let's consider our second point, and that's God's faithfulness to Daniel. God's faithfulness to Daniel. We see this in verses 18 through 28. Sorry, 19 through 28. They say this, Then at break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in pieces. It's amazing the reaction that Darius had. Clearly, he had had grown fond of Daniel and was deeply distressed by the idea of Daniel dying. But I love the way that Daniel, who spent a night in a lion's den, emerges and basically comforts Darius, who spent his night in his palace. 
Daniel's faithfulness and assured hope enabled him not only to not fear death, but even to be compassionate towards the one who had put him in the lion's den. But while Daniel models faithfulness, this chapter is not primarily about Daniel and his faithfulness, but about God's faithfulness. It's about the God who Daniel's faith is in, the God in whom Daniel trusted, the one who he served. Darius asks, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you? And the resounding answer is yes. Yes, he is able to save. God has saved. Yes, this God, the God of Daniel, the living God, the God who Daniel serves continually, the God in whom Daniel trusts, he's mighty to save. He's absolutely able to deliver. He can rescue even from the depths of the lion's den. And he is faithful to save his people. Unlike Darius, who was powerless, God was powerful. God showed his faithfulness in delivering Daniel from the jaws of death. We're also told why God delivered Daniel. It was because he was found blameless before God and also before the king. Daniel was faithful. He was faithful to God. He was faithful even to the king as well. He was vindicated. Being brought back out of the den showed that he was in the right. He was proven that he was blameless before God and man. So Darius was exceedingly glad, and Daniel was raised up from the pit. No harm was found on him, because he trusted in his God. And while Daniel is delivered from death, his accusers are then thrown into the trap that they themselves had devised for him. Daniel had done no wrong to the king, even in disobeying his edict, for God alone should be the recipient of prayers. Not kings, not rulers, not saints, not Mary, not relatives. God alone should be the object and the one that we address with our prayers. God delivered his faithful servant from the jaws of death. But what about Polycarp? What about Perpetua or Felicity? What about the countless martyrs who've been put to death throughout history, even today, People are being martyred for their faith. Has God not shown himself faithful to them? Has God not proven faithful to deliver them from the jaws of death? God has been faithful to them. Because Daniel serves not only as an example of faithfulness to us, but he serves as a foreshadow of God's greater deliverance in Christ Jesus, his son. Christ Jesus, who like Daniel, was accused by malicious men, even though no fault was found in him. Jesus, who like, who like Daniel, entrusted himself to God in prayer as he faced death. And even like Darius, who, who couldn't save Uh, Daniel from the jaws of death. Pilate wanted to save Jesus, but he couldn't find a way to release Jesus from the sentence of death either. 
Jesus wasn't only blameless before God, but he was sinless. Jesus wasn't only placed in a pit of death, but he actually went to death. That was sealed over with a stone when he was in the tomb, like Daniel. And while Daniel only faced this possibility, Jesus faced the judgment of death. Jesus was faithful to the task that he had been given by his father. Jesus went willingly to the cross. Jesus bore the judgment and the wrath for our sins. And Jesus conquered sin and death and was raised triumphant from the grave. Death couldn't hold him. He was raised out of the pit and exalted to the right hand of God the Father so that all who turn to him in faith and repentance might be delivered from the jaws of death, having their sins cleansed by his blood. Friends, if you are here and you are not a Christian, if you have not put your faith in God's son, Jesus, you too can be delivered from the judgment of your sin. You can be delivered from the jaws of eternal death. You can be delivered from the wages of sin. You can be granted eternal life in Christ Jesus, the risen faithful one. Those who trust in him will be delivered, but those who don't will be devoured. They will face death for eternity. They will be judged and they will endure the wrath of God. Turn from your sins today if you haven't and trust in him. All it requires to be saved by Christ is to trust him, is to have faith in him, to turn to him, to believe in him. And brothers and sisters, let me encourage you too. The gospel is good news. This good news of our faithful savior and this good news empowers us to be faithful too. Courage in the face of death doesn't come by digging deep within yourself and mustering up strength. Christ is our strength. He gives us grace when we're weak. He gives us grace when we're fearful. He has given us his spirit to strengthen us and he's promised that his spirit will give us words to speak when we face any trial or any obstacle for our faith. We too can be faithful like Daniel, not because we're great or strong or we are so faithful in and of ourselves, but because God is faithful. We may think our weakness will undermine our witness, but it's through our weakness that God demonstrates his power and his might. Finally, the chapter concludes by recording Darius's response to God's deliverance. Darius' response can be found in verses 25 through 28. And there we see, just like King Nebuchadnezzar before him, Darius writes to all the peoples, all the nations, all the languages that dwell on the earth to testify to the majesty and the power to save of Daniel's God. Look at verses 25 through 27. This is what he wrote to all the people of the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and to fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth. And he who, was, who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 
This right here in these last verses is why God shows his faithfulness. God shows his faithfulness in delivering his people so that his name might be glorified in all the earth, among all the peoples, among all the tribes and nations of the world, so that he would be worshipped among all peoples. The right response to God's deliverance is to proclaim it to the people around us, just like Darius did, and invite them to turn with fear and trembling to this faithful God and be rescued from eternal death. God's deliverance of Daniel was a reminder to the exiles that if they were faithful, if they served their Lord, he would be faithful to deliver them as he had promised. The final verse even hints at this. Look there at verse 28. The narrator zooms out and it frames this whole story in light of Cyrus the Persian, the very man that God used to deliver his people from exile and to deliver them to the promised land. And Jesus' deliverance from death reminds us that when he returns, his faithful will be raised from the jaws of death and brought into his glorious kingdom to be with him forevermore. That's good news, brothers and sisters. In that place, there will be no more death. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. All of these will pass away and be no more, we're told in Revelation. What a day that will be. Until then, let's put our faith in this faithful God who can save from the jaws of death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise that you are the living God. You are the eternal one, enduring forever and ever. And we pray that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done in our lives. Lord, we above all praise you that you have shown your faithfulness to us in sending your Son to deliver us from sin and death. And Lord, we pray that by your grace, you will strengthen us to remain faithful to him until he comes. It's all in his glorious name that we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.